Well, that's, that's, cool. that's a heavy call. I don't know if we even get it sometimes. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. How could we? Well, you know, and arguably we're going to bump into this today. There's so much. We'll try to cover as much as we can. Thanks for the segue. Nice segue. Uh, we'll try to cover as much as we can. Gus and Eileen have the flu stuff, so they were here. Oh, it's going around. Yeah, it is going around. Um, you know, the, the, and you heard this today with maybe a bit with Moses as well. There's so much of what Moses institutes that sounds foreign to us. Like, why would God do that? Sacrificing bulls and goats and lambs. Why would he have, um, you know, well, we could talk about it today with incense, burning incense. Why? Um, why at the high places? All these sorts of things. And the part of the, it's context. Like, we don't live in a culture where there are religions that are, Overtly sacrificial. Everybody is sacrificial in their religion, in their natural religion, but it isn't overt. Like, you know, there's not altars and there's, you know, children or animals being sacrificed on them or something. Where you're just like, whoa, you know, that's pretty incredible. There's some, there's some done in secret. Every once in a while, you'll hear about that. Especially, uh, you know, where the number one place for for satanic worship is in the U.S. Anybody know? Where they, where they find more human remains that have apparently been sacrificed of children. North Dakota. What? Yeah, exactly. Well, it makes sense. You go to North... Yeah, they just go out into the effective desert, you know. But, yeah, just... Yeah. Child trafficking, huge in North and South Dakota. Almost as big as it is in, like, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's under-resourced, under, it's just nobody's watching, you know, nobody's watching. Anyway, yeah, you're right, we don't know about sacrifice, so it's kind of hard. We do know a little bit, because we always ask you for money, right? Oh, it's a sacrifice, yeah, it's a sacrifice. It's the same idea, it's like, wait a minute, money, who does it actually come from? Oh, it comes from God. So he's only asking back a portion of what he's already given, right, as an expression of thanksgiving. Same thing with the animals. Like, we prayed it all week in Psalm 50. All the cattle on a thousand hills, right? They're all my, the birds of the air, they're all mine. Like, if I wanted them, I just, you know, I just, if I wanted to eat them or take them, he says, right? All right. So, that's a little, that's actually not a bad lead in. Hi, Dorothy. By the way, God likes barbecue. God likes barbecue, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Adam, Adam apparently instructed Abel. All right. Um, there's a little bit of an introduction here before we read it. So let's do that first paragraph. The glory of God versus the four abominations in the temple. That sounds like it's going to be pleasant. All right. Chapters 8 through 11 together. We're only going to look at 8 today. Relates how God, Yahweh's glory abandons the Jerusalem temple to destruction. The return of the glory in the eschatological temple, that's the last times temple, is Ezekiel's vision of chapter 43. All right? So if you want to see the answer to the desolation of today, it doesn't come till 43. Many scenes are echoed in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to give you all of them. Uh, but for example, the work of the divine man in 8, 2, and 3, which we'll look at in a minute, compares to the appearance of the resurrected Christ in Revelation 1 and Revelation 10, also Daniel 10, Acts 9, Acts 26, etc. We also ought to keep in mind, I think as we read this, because it's going to be pretty, it's going to be pretty heavy, um, the promised remnant that we heard like just two weeks ago, in or two lessons ago in chapter 6, the promised remnant of chapter 5. So even though there's not one in here, that doesn't mean it's not true. So you have to, you know, keep that in mind that, yes, God is going it, to, it sounds like he's just going to wipe everything out in this chapter. And to a large extent, that's actually true, <laughs> right? But there is always his faithful remnant that he preserves. All right. And by the way, chapters 8 through 11 are a single visionary experience. We're only going to look at 8 today. We're going to take a couple weeks off for the holiday. Um, so Christmas Day, we're not going to have Bible study. Sorry. We're going to have a rich, it'll be a rich service though, so... Uh, you won't feel like you missed anything. And then uh, uh, New Year's Day, we're not going to have Bible study uh, because I'm going to go, I have to go back to family. I'm going to go down to see family during the week, come back for a few days, got work to do, that sort of thing. Come back for New Year's Day and then go back again for another, it's the only time, it's the only way you can work it out. You know how it is with family. 
trying to get everybody together. There's only like, what, nine cousins, right? How many kids are in the Sigma family? Nine. Nine. So there's only getting the 10 of us, 10 ch my children, and the nine of their children all to be on, to have the same schedule. How hard can it be? It's just two families. Oh, and there's Tyler too, yeah. Well, okay, anyway, there's more. There, there's more, there's more than that. It, yeah, it's not easy. And then if you want to get the aunt and the uncle and... All right, so that's how it's going to work. It's fine, though. I have to come back to roast coffee and stuff anyway, so don't worry about it. Let's read. I think we should just read the whole thing. It's not that long. It's 18 verses. Yeah. I'm taking volunteers, okay. so I can... And Ethan's back. <laughs> Ethan's ready to read. He's ready to read. All right. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by the lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel is there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this, was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here, to drive me far from my sanctuary? But will you cease to a greater abominations? And he brought me to the entrance of the court. When I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance, and he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing there. So I went in and saw, and there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping thing, and loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Ja'at Saniah, the son of Saphan, standing among them. Each had the censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room with pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will still see greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will still, you will see still greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, worshipping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it, too, is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abomination that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore I will act in wrath, and I will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ear with a loud voice, I will not hear it. This is the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> right. Whew, it's pretty intense. Okay, so um, I would suggest... Well, let's see. Let's go back to the beginning. I'll give you some context here. And we'll use our sheet as an outline, although I don't know how much we can get to, but it's, I'm not too worried about it. You get the general thrust of it, that's the point, and then you can look up other things on your own. So it's the sixth year, sixth month, fifth day of the month, which tells us exactly, as it dated according to chapter 1, that it is September 18th, 592 B.C. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, but it's a historic event, even though it's a visionary experience. It's kind of an interesting combination, right? Yeah, it's right in the middle, right in football season. Um, notice that the elders of Judah are sitting before me, and the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Uh, this is unique. We haven't had this yet. That the elders seem to be whoever these elders are. There's some. There's an audience. It sounded like with the whole model Jerusalem and the ramparts, 
and he's laying there on his left side and then on his right side. I think that's how it went, right? Or was it right and then left? I can't remember. He's laying on his side for however many days and just playing with his little stick figures or something. That nobody, maybe they're watching, but he's not talking to them. And we had it with the prophesying against the mountains. Like, that's not people. But here the elders are listening. And it seems like they've asked him uh, for some counsel from God. Uh, we're not sure who these elders are, but I give you some suggestions there. It's, uh, you can look at Jeremiah 29. It refers to the elders in Babylon. And then Ezra, especially 5 and 6. I gave you those citations. It's Ezra, not Ear, whatever that is. Ezra. I'm typing fast and not proofreading. Um, Ezra refers to that they, even though there's no like Levitical priesthood officially in Babylon because there's no temple, um, and there's no governance because they're in exile, right? There's not a land to govern. That that there is some kind of organization scheme amongst the people that are in exile of elders, right? Men that gather together, uh, maybe to hear God's word or or something like that. So. This time they want to hear him. And then this is crazy, right? I looked and there was a likeness. We learned all about likenesses today, right? Like me, Moses said. This time the likeness of appearance of fire. Uh, from the appearance of his waist downward, fire in his waist upward, brightness. The, like the color of amber. That should sound familiar. Okay, this is Jesus, by the way. <laughs> all right. It's the, it's the one. He, he's appearing as a man, but yet he is obviously more than a man. Supernatural super of some sort. Is there ever a time that J Jesus' face shined with brightness or his whole appearance with brightness? Transfiguration. Yeah, the transfiguration, right? So this is the revealed Jesus of glory, right? This is the Jesus we'll see on the last day, not in fear and trembling. Well, fear, because we'll be with our Lord, but um, not trembling. Not. And then the fire is waist down. Maybe that's just... You know, like the wheels of his throne, like we saw at the beginning of the first vision, where they were made out of fire. And he's just like, it's just conflated. As far as it looks, it's just his legs are made out of fire because he's in his fiery chariot, that kind of thing. Yeah, I imagine like anything supernatural is probably really hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. we talked about that. Yeah. Even more so than whatever he's trying to Right. Words. Yeah, and even if you go to the, really the expansions of the, of, like I mentioned from Revelation, the appearances of Christ in Revelation 1 and chapter 10, even in Daniel, there's a little bit more detail, but it's still, John's like, I don't know, it was like sapphire or, or jasper or crystal or what, I mean, he just, he makes, he, he tries to find likenesses of things that are kind of like it. The, the gates are made out of pearl, and you're like, well, are they really made out of pearls? Or they just have that appearance of pearl, you know, pearlescent, what do they call that? Not shiny, thanks. No, I was thinking of, is it, what is it? Iridescent. Iridescent, that's the word. Thank you. Yeah. All right. It's just really shiny. Really shiny, thanks. Uh, notice, I don't know, what did, what did you read, Ethan? ESV says, yeah, the spirit lifted me up, right? Between earth and heaven. Notice he drags him by a lock of his hair. I love that. Um, that's not the only time this happens in the Bible. I didn't give you a citation here. Uh, the same thing happens to Habakkuk. Yeah, I mentioned him in the sermon. Yes, yeah, he grabs him by the by the pulls him along. Yeah. And then this the spirit lifted me up. It could be wind, but it's clear. Um, Sounds like Earth. Philip. Yes, just like Philip and Acts, right? Uh, so is it a physical? Is he physically being transported? I mean, he's being grabbed by the hair, and yet it's a vision. So the way I'm imagining this, I mean, there's, this is speculative, is that Ezekiel's there, and then he kind of goes mind out of body, and, the, and he's describing things that he's seeing, but he, they're like, well, I don't know where he just went to. That was some pretty, pretty significant you know, drugs he just took or something. He put on the VR headset, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it seems to be both. Like he's there, kind of physical, but he also he's by the spirit. He's he's seeing a vision. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Right. But he's given to see. I mean, because he's in Babylon. How are you going to see the temple when you're in Babylon? And is he actually seeing the, the temple now, or as we're going to look at, is he look seeing the temple before, or or is he remembering, or is he recalling? Is 
is also being brought into his vision, things that he has heard, you know, by way of messenger from Judah, you know, from those who were left behind to those who are in the exile. Because remember, they didn't take everybody and they haven't destroyed the temple yet. That will happen in just however many years, not that long, like 60 or 40 years or something, right? But it's still there and there's still people doing something there. Apparently, maybe not so so uh, worship of Yahweh. All right. Um, his hand. Oh, we should talk about that. Stretched out. And it's, it's explicit. The form of a hand in the, I don't remember the Hebrew, but the Greek for that is tupos, from which we get type. And I often translate that as type or shadow or you can translate it as figure, I think. Pattern or plan could be as well. All right. So is it his hand? I think here it actually is. Usually it's referring to like the overwhelming power of God, though. The hand of the Lord was upon me. <laughs> like, ooh, and it's, it's heavy. It's always heavy upon you. That's why when I, when I bless the kids, you know, they know this. They get, the, they get the hand heavy upon their head. Like their neck is compressing. It's like the hand of the Lord is on you. All right, pay attention. I do, yeah. I got that from a pastor friend of mine. I don't know who he learned it from. It's just, it's a tradition from someone. I don't know who started it, but it's like, yeah, you know I'm there. Yeah. I don't know why we're so like, we talked about this on the morning prayer yesterday, like so aphysical, like everything has to be all gentle. Sometimes things can be a little bit more severe. You know about the tradition of uh, the, uh, the bishop slapping the person at their confirmation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he gives them a blessing and then he whacks them across the face. They know it's coming, but they have to wait. It's kind of like the gunshots at, uh, at a committal, you know, if they have military honors. You're like, you know they're coming, but it's like, why is he doing that? I don't know where that came from. That's a whole other tradition you don't need. To, we don't need to reintroduce that one. All right. Good. So then, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, provoked to jealousy. We didn't talk, I didn't talk about this, but you know what it means when... Uh, God says, to, by way of Moses, the Lord your God is a jealous God, right? Yeah. Punishing the children to the sin, of, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Right? So what does it mean that I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God? Yeah. It's all, it's all um, bride bridegroom relationship. Okay, yeah. Like a husband for his wife. He's jealous. He's jealous of them when they commit adultery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or like somebody, you know, some other guy tries to flirt with your wife. You go up and you slug him. Right? It's not appropriate. I don't know if you slug him. Probably can't do that anymore. Can you still do that? I don't know. I guess it depends on context. As long as nobody has their cell phone out. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. I always imagine that's what happened in bars. I'm not, I don't go to bars. I imagine that's what happens all the time. It's a nice imagination I have. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it has. Well, alcohol makes you do stupid, or it doesn't make you, but it, it incentivizes you to do stupid things. All right, so jealous, yeah. So he's provoked to jealousy, and specifically here, okay, he goes by the vision to Jerusalem, to the north gate of the inner court. So uh, the tabernacle did, had, had no courtyard. That was the tent. It had, a, it had a holy of holies and then it had a holy place. The holy place was for the priest. The most holy place was for the high priest once a year. That's it. Right? The people would gather outside the tabernacle. And then when the, when the temple is built, when David starts it and then Solomon finishes it, there's an outer court for the people to gather in. Actually, the men and the women gathered outside that. Then, later on in the monarchy, they bifurcated the court so then you have the women, the women have their courtyard, the men have their courtyard, then the priests, then the high priest. Got it? Yeah. So there's an inner court and an outer court uh, by the time of Ezekiel. And, that, and Herod will build his with two courts as well, two courtyards. Pay attention to that because it comes up in the Gospels as to which gate they're at and which courtyard they're in. Yeah. Like the woman with, her, with the, the widow's might, obviously that's in the outer court, not in the inner court because she's allowed there. Okay. Um, this is the north gate of the inner court. So this likely would have been reserved for the king who was permitted to be in the place reserved for the priests. So, 
you know, there's a little deference to the king that way, that he has kind of special permission. Um, so he had his own little door that would be towards the north, because that's probably where his palace was. It depends on which era you're talking about. These things get just raised and rebuilt all the time. But likely, the king would come in from the north, and that's the north gate. Maybe that's where the priest came in, too. It's probably also likely where the sacrifices were brought in. So it's that north gate. Uh, north is interesting. I gave you a note about this somewhere on there. You can probably find it. Um, I don't know what page it's on. It's somewhere in there. That the direction of the north is probably a reference to um, kind of what is the Mount Olympus for the Canaanites, which was called Mount North, colloquial. And then I, uh, you have to find it on here. The name in the ancient, in modern times is, oh, there it is, top of the page two. Uh, Jebel Akra, also known, and then classical area is called Mount Cassius. All right. So they, the, the Canaanites had their own like Mount Olympus where all their gods dwelt, you know, or came from, like Zeus. This is a different place. This is, this is the modern-day Turkey to the south of modern-day Turkey. So it'd be a fun place to go visit and see if you can find some Canaanite, you know, excavations, look at stuff. Uh, all right, so that's to the north. They come in. And then there's this, on, on, there is seated the, an image of jealousy or a statue of jealousy. So this this would this is clearly an abomination, the statue of jealousy, because there are there are no representations of a person prohibited in the presence of God, no no idol in the shape of a man or a form in the man or a beast, by the way, or you know they don't they do they there's plants but there's not fellow creatures, and the reason for that is in the ancient world they worshipped everything as a god. <laughs> And especially the form of a person. You see this with Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar's statue, right? And they worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar set up, right? Yeah. But here what's, what's interesting is it's in the inner court of the temple. Seated, which is, the, is also a position of authority. You get this with Jesus. Jesus sits down and reads the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. Do you remember that? No, it's fine. I'll just tell you. Right. Jesus sits down to read the scroll. Everybody else is standing. That means he's the one that's going to be reading. We do the opposite. Everybody's seated, and the guy who stands up is the one who's in charge. Right? We got it all backwards. I mean, practically speaking, though, it makes more sense, the person who's standing up, because you can see him. You know. uh, anyway, so having an, an image of jealousy, something that makes God jealous, right? So it's an idol of jealousy, because it, God's jealous of it, is seated where only he should be seated. Make sense? Yeah. All right. And probably, I suggest to you that it's Asherah. You've heard of Asherah before. And this is to Ethan's point about jealousy and marriage. Asherah uh, is the female component. And then uh, you usually hear her with Baal, Asherah and Baal. But Asherah actually is Baal's mother, which doesn't preclude that she was having relationships with her son. And, you know, you've read the stories of the gods, right? Okay. And people, for that matter. But uh, she's the mother of all the gods. There's about 70 in the pantheon. Baal is one of them. Um, and then she, her, her consort, kind of husband, not really. They don't. Canaanites didn't really believe in marriage, uh, or they denied it anyway. Her consort is just named El. Right? So that's an important note, because El is often a suffix used in Hebrew names to indicate of God. Don't, don't dump that. Okay, now you got to clean it up, Leah. Yeah, too much water. Too much water. Uh, like Gabriel, right? We have that. The angel Gabriel. It means man of El. God, right? So Elohim is usually the long one uh, of the gods or God of gods. So anyway, um, why did I bring this up? Oh, yes. We were talking about it with sacrifice. We, talk about, we could talk about it with incense. We could talk about it with statues any of these sorts of things. God often takes the natural religion of the heart and then co-opts it and puts his word on top of it and uses it for his purpose. So even the name El, God takes as one of his names. Uh, what would be another example of this? I mean, you could talk about it with the holiday stuff people do all the time. Like, well, you know, December 25th isn't a Christian holiday. It's, it's the worship of the winter solstice or the Saturnalia or something. 
Some Roman god or something. Soul of Victus. Soul of Victus. Yeah, Invictus. Okay, fine. Worship of the sun. Actually, it's important to this text. And you're like, well, um, okay. Except if God says, you know what, actually, this is like the last battle in Chronicles of Narnia, right? You worship the sun, but you actually should be worshiping the giver of the sun. Right? So you can still have a day where you recognize the sun, but recognize that the sun is actually only to be directed, directing you towards the worship of the true God. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. We might as well go there. Um, because we sang it in the hymn. I don't know if you caught... Well, you weren't, you weren't thinking Bible study yet because you're not like that, um, where your brain's already in two places at once. Was this the opening hymn? No. There was a lot of star and sun. Oh, maybe it was the opening hymn. What was the opening hymn? Which is... Yeah, that sounds like the hymn, doesn't it? Rend the heavens wide. What comes out of the heavens? 354. Oh, 44 is... Yeah, you, you sent me in the wrong direction. Oh yeah, it was stanza five. Oh, this is all of Jesus. Oh, morning star, oh, radiant sun, when will our hearts behold your dawn? Well, it sounds like we're worshiping the sun, except we know. Oh, sun, arise, without your light we grope in gloom and dark of night. Right, so Jesus is the light of the world, right? I am the light, he says. The light no darkness can overcome. The darkness cannot, could not comprehend it. Jesus, the light, right? Morning star, you're thinking of Malachi, chapter 3, I think. Yeah. So, uh, so there he just co-ops that worship of the sun and says, you know what? I know you're already doing it. So why don't we actually just say, you know, it's worship. We talked about Christmas tree last week, didn't we? That, you know, you have Germans who are, are Gaulish people that are worshiping trees, so... Instead, you cut it down and you decorate it and you say it, and you put things on it to testify of Christ, like light, right? The star. The star that led the wise men, we might say. Well, I don't know. Or just morning star, Jesus. However you want to do it. All right, where were we? I got ahead of myself because that's the fourth abomination. Uh, or third. Was it third or fourth? Can't remember. Doesn't matter. Lift now to the eye, to the north. He looks at the north of the altar gate and there's the image of jealousy at the entrance or the statue of jealousy. And again, not named could be any number of things. I like the idea that it's Asherah. Again, can't be in the same place as the worship of God. Um, there's a note, second to last paragraph on your first sheet, page one. Uh, it's like maybe the fourth line from the end of the second to last paragraph. I don't know if that helps. You just catch it here where you do. All right. Christians are also prohibited from any union, syncretism, or compromise with all other lords and gods. I'll give you some examples. 1 Corinthians, especially. 2 Corinthians as well. Ephesians. There's the marriage chapter and infidelity and fidelity. 1 John 5, Revelation 2. All right. Yahweh and the idol ultimately cannot exist in the same temple without forsaking Yahweh's exclusive claim on the, on the people. Right. This is really important for us as Christians. Um, I use that word cannot coexist because you might think of the bumper sticker. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Now, in a civil society, it is true, you know, freedom of religion, we prefer freedom of religion um, rather than the opposite, We're, right? Because the opposite generally doesn't go well for us. Because if, here's the problem. If Christians have the truth, which we believe we do, then the truth is ultimately the first thing to go, not the last thing, right? So Christianity will always be the first one to be attacked if there's a prohibition on any kind of particular religious practice. It's just how it goes, all right? So freedom, uh, civilly spoken. Of course, there's consequences of that. It means that our own family's children, I mean, it's like living with the Canaanites. They're all around us and they're worshiping all their false gods. And we see them sometimes even. You now we even watch their false worship on television. Oh, gods of Baal. Excuse me, sports Baal. Oh, we have ball. Excuse me, sports ball. Who worships the sports ball? Sports ball. Sports ball uh -huh. mm -hmm. Kind of funny. Yeah, they're like gods, right? Or like, well, offspring of the gods, you know? Adon, you know, the, whatever was the guy? Isn't it Adonis? Isn't he like the big wrestler guy or whatever they use? Atlas. That's the one I'm thinking of. Atlas. All right, anyway. Yeah, um, so three words there. 
but the two big ones are union and syncretism. You've heard these before? Unionism and syncretism. It's actually when you call a pastor, some of you were participated, one of you maybe participated in the call process. Were you in that? Yeah. We do it with, with I don't think it's a question on the teacher stuff. It's only on the pastor stuff. Where it's, you know, do you renounce all unionism and syncretism? Da, 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 da. Um, so, do you know what the words mean? Well, union, you know, is to join together with something, right? So that, um, that in particular, historically, for the Missouri Senate, is referring to uh, the Saxons, the Hanoverians, and the Franconians, who, especially the Hanoverians and the Saxons, who were often being forced under the Prussian um, emperor, right? He was an emperor? Frederick? Was he? Or Wilhelm, excuse me, Wilhelm? Was he an emperor? It was before World War I. Prussia, empire. It was an empire, so he was an emperor, right? Okay. He was, he, I don't remember which way it is. I think he was Lutheran and his wife was Reformed. And so then they were like, okay, we're just going to create a new church that's Lutheran and Reformed together. Even though we don't agree on doctrine, we'll just... Let's coexist. Let's coexist. It's exactly what it was. It was basically so that he and his wife could get along. But then he made everybody else do it. And there were things that they imposed on the Lutherans, of course. You've heard me say this before. Like, that's when Lutherans were forcibly being required to break the bread, when it says he broke bread. And then use, and they were forced to use red wine. They couldn't use any wine. They had to use red wine because that's what the Reform said. The Reform said he said break, so you break it. So then the Lutherans, in order to defy the, the emperor and to defy the, or the king, they refused to break the host and they would not use red wine. Only white wine. That's like when um, the, the Jewish king would marry some... Uh... Yep. Unbeliever, and then, like, that's when everything it, got bad. It always compromises the true worship. And this, right. this kid is why you. Right. right. So, you, this is right. This is right. If she's not a Lutheran, you convert her, or he. Right? Just, otherwise, it's just not going to go well for you. It doesn't go well. Maybe it goes well enough for you and your wife, but your kids, it doesn't go well for them. Because they don't know what to believe then. They just don't. I've seen it, I don't know how many times. So. Uh, let's see here. Where do we leave off? Oh, yes, the, the, the statue of abomination. All right. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see that what they are doing? Great abominations in my sanctuary. Now you will see even greater abominations. All right, so the first one is just the statue of jealousy. That's the first abomination. Um, I wanted to say this, too. I'm sorry if I'm jumping around. Uh, I woke up with a migraine. Uh, I'm surprised I can still function. That's okay. The, um, Jesus actually talks about this. The abomination of desolations in the holy place, as is written by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. He says this in, during his Holy Week discourses. And you're like, what abomination of desolations? I know Daniel talked about it, but what is it? What are you talking about? So then all sorts of people are like, well, I don't know. What's the abomination of desolation? Maybe it's, I like the idea that it's actually when the Roman Empire came through and they set up the, the insignia of Rome over the altar in the holy place? What is it? The eagle, right? I like that idea. I like it even more now. Because don't sit on the chair. Get off that chair. Dorothy's... Stop. I asked you to get off this chair. All right, you're going to have to take care of them, please. Um, I like the idea of it being the eagle because that's one of the things forbidden. You did not carve the uh, likeness, right? Remember Deuteronomy? Or, or Exodus too, for that matter. Right? You shall have no other gods. You shall not carve any image or likeness, right? And to put it in the place that's reserved for God's worship would be abomination. So there you go. So maybe that, when Rome did that, that was certainly an insult. Never mind, they also sacrificed pigs on the altar, which were unclean animals and were not appropriate. Right? They just made a mockery of the, of the church. And that will come to us eventually. There will be those that just mock the Christian church. I think they're already doing it. I'm a Roman Catholic and I love killing babies. And you're like, you know that's a mockery, right? They're just making fun of you. They don't believe any of it. They're making fun of the church. They're making fun of the, the, of the faith. Yeah, That's just an example. As one. Or this Protect Marriage Act or whatever it is, which is like, let's give, yeah, Respect Marriage Act. Let's give, let's give people, let's actually endorse more hedonistic behavior and call it marriage. Like what? Like, you know, it wasn't that. It was in my lifetime that sodomy was illegal. And now it's celebrated. And you're like, what are you talking about? How? 
How did we? Well, very easily, actually. But that's another story. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just mocking us. And that, that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but God will take care of it. All right, C, uh, what abominations? All right. Uh, now turn and you will see greater abominations. And so, one, two, three, four. Yet at the end of each one, he says, now we're going to see something even worse. So, bad enough, they set up a statue of Asherah in the, in the outer court, or the inner court, I should say. Now, uh, uh, they brought me to a door, and there was a hole in the wall. He said, dig into the wall, and he dug into the wall, and there was a door. Anybody watch the show Dark? Did you watch Dark on Netflix? You didn't watch it? Oh, you should watch it. It's, well, it's a screwy show. Mess with your head. But, um, but there's doors, and they take you to different times in the people's lives, and the people are intersecting with their own lifetimes. It's... It's time travel. If you're into time travel, there's a little bit of romance, and it's mostly just sci-fi weirdness. Anyway, it's like this. Dig into the wall, come out, and there's a door, like Alice in Wonderland, right? The little door, she has to eat the thing. And then um, opens the door, and he gets to look inside. Right? He's not going in through the main door. He's going in through, he's got this alternate, so he can survey the scene first. All right? And then, then he says, go in and see the wicked abominations they're doing there. All right, so again, this is the second one. This is the longest one. There was every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and idols of the house portrayed all around on the walls. So either carvings or paintings or drawings or whatever, all over the walls, all prohibited in God's temple. All right, this is probably, I suggest to you on the handout, one of the rooms that Solomon describes. There's on the periphery, there's store, like storage or prep rooms or vestry set, you know, where priests would get dressed or whatever, right? It's probably one of those rooms, but in secret, there's a group of how many? 70 men of the elders of Israel. These are elders. These are not priests, by the way, meaning they're not authorized to do what they're doing anyway. They don't belong there. They're not priests. Um, and uh, and they have all these, all these images, all this iconography that they're worshiping. How do we know they're worshiping it? Because they're burning incense for them. Which is what you do to appease an angry God. You burn incense, right? And Jesus takes that on. Actually, I should say the Old Testament takes that on. Um, and then there's this guy named uh, Jaazania, <laughs> the son of Shaphan, which is an interesting character. I gave you a lot of notes about him. Uh, the, oh, there's all this stuff about the incense. One, two, three, four paragraphs down on page two. Jazania is the third paragraph. There's three generations of the family of, of this Shafin character that are prominent in Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's in Babylon, Jeremiah's back in Jerusalem at the same time. Leah, whatever you're doing, stop it. Thank you. All right. Uh, it appears that this family, Shaphan, had actually been pretty, well, it's not appears, it is true, that he, they were pretty significant in the reform of the temple under Josiah. So before Josiah is this guy named Manasseh, Manasseh, King Manasseh, and he was terrible, terrible. All right, and so uh, we should probably actually just look at that quick. And I say quick, nothing's quick, but uh, where's the second kings, right? 2 Kings 21 is Manasseh. So you'll see he reigns in Judah. And notice what he does. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So he basically let the Canaanites come back in. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal. He made a wooden image. There you go. And as Ahab king of Israel had done, he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So that's all the foreign gods. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, that in Jerusalem I will put my name. So he added in, this is, the, oh, by the way, this is not unionism. This is syncretism. This is just like the golden calf. You remember that? Golden calf? Yeah. And, uh, and Aaron says, well, we're going to celebrate a feast day to the Lord, Yahweh, while you worship the golden calf. So see, it's like, well, we can, you can do both. You can do both, right? You can like country and western. 
right? You don't know the reference. Have you watched Blues Brothers? We have both kinds of music, country and western. Ah. It's not bluegrass, it's Blues Brothers. Blues music, anyway, R&B. Anyway. I don't know. No, 83. Mm-hmm. It was a Saturday Night Live skit. It became a movie. Dan Aykroyd and uh, what's his name? Belushi. John Belushi. Yeah, and they went on tour. You could go listen and play. Aykroyd still, he, he, pretty recently, he was still, he would tour with, and Jim took John's place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The last scene where they put the car off the bridge, that's in Milwaukee. It is. Where they yes. finished the yes. market yes. interchange. Yeah. 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 There's another there's another scene that was right by a fishery on the north side of, or south side of Chicago. Yeah, most of it. Okay. Uh never mind. Both kinds, country and western. So the idea of, syn- of syncretism is to say well, you know, I can worship God and I can worship, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the God of money? Mammon. Yeah, I love money and I love God. Well, yeah, that's my point. And I make this point a couple places on here. It just looks different, and that's why it's deceiving. Because it's not so overtly religious, right? But if you listen to the language and you look at, look at what's being done, you'll say, oh, this is religious. So the prophet stands up at the podium in, on the lawn and makes a pronouncement of here's, what's no, here's the new morality, and then they light up the temple behind, the sacred hall of the White House, with rainbow colors, right? And now, and here's, and here's what we celebrate now. Yeah, it's, it's all religious iconography. Actually, all of Washington, D.C. is a religious monument. But you remember, I mean, uh, Miss Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, she said this, right? That she said that they had desecrated the sacred halls of, of the Congress. You're like, that language is reserved for... For the, for the church. There's nothing sacred, nothing, about the halls of Congress. And even to allow her to speak in such a way and not call her out for her blasphemy as a supposed Roman Catholic is incredible. It's incredible. It, it just shows that we're already, we already have state worship. Worship the state, the king, or the queen, or the whatever they are, the ruling class. All right. So, yeah, it's true. It's just like today. And we just don't call them idols or gods. And then, you know, how dare the pastor come along and say... Hey, you know, stop worshiping yourself or worshiping money or you know, because then it's like, well, you're making me uncomfortable. Well, yes, of course I'm making you uncomfortable. <laughs> Have you ever read Ezekiel about making somebody uncomfortable? Your gods are made out of feces. All right. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and then cook with the cook with dung. Yeah. All right. So uh, I could read some more of this. This is, but you see, this is Manasseh. And it's pretty bad. There's the two courts, by the way, in verse 5. So he refers to the two courts. Oh, they've got soothsayers and witchcraft and spiritists and, and mediums. And of course, God's angry. Oh, here he is. Verse 7. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house which the Lord had said to David and Solomon and to his son in his house in Jerusalem I have chosen. Right? So that's why I suggest that that's probably what Ezekiel is seeing, what has already happened under Manasseh before him. But he's... So it's future past, kind of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. All right, so Manasseh is terrible. There's more abominations, worse than the Amorites. That's always the worst kind of insult, when the, the Israelite king is worse than all the nations around him as far as the idolatry goes, right? Uh-huh. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Whew. But that's baptism language too, though. Yep. All right, Manasseh shed innocent blood. The rest of Manasseh, just go read the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, which actually doesn't give a lot more detail, but you can go look at that. Then there's another guy. Then Josiah comes. And this is when, this is why I wanted to show you this. Welcome back. All right, under, under Josiah, look at verse 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent, oh, there he is, Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up and find Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which had been brought to the house, because they're going to rebuild it and restore it. Right? And this is where it's actually Shaphan the scribe who says, verse 8, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They had lost the book of Moses under Manasseh. It was gone. Like, and they found it. 
there was so much garbage in there, all these side altars and all the other stuff. They're like, oh, look at this. And then, you know, they find it, they read it before the king, and the king tears his clothes, then he reads it to the whole people, they're all weeping, it's just terrible. Right, and there's repentance. But guess what happens after that? Josiah restores true worship, and then, I'll just scroll a little bit. Oh, no. Josiah dies. Then Jehoahaz comes along. And, oh, he makes it a little worse. Jehoiakim, even worse. And then the enemies come, and the captivity happens. All right, so you got the idea. So there's the Shaphan guy. This is an old family name. What seems to be happening, sorry, what seems to be happening is that this, what was his name? Jehazaniah. Um, he's like the fourth generation, and now he's, he's left the reservation too. And he's become a idolatrous priest. Stop, stop. That is not appropriate. Sit down. Patrick, sit down. All right. All right, so there you go. I said, I said like, earlier when you first mentioned the eight, it's ironic. Uh, I have a note here, which says that Yatsania uh, means God hears, which is ironic. Right, yeah. No, his name, sometimes names are, you know, they're like complimentary, and other times they're, like Isaac is really not a complimentary name. Because every time they would say their son's name, they remember how they had mocked God for the promise that he made. And both Abraham and... And his wife, Sarah. They both laughed when God told them, you're going to have a son. Right? I mean, understandably so. But still, then God says, no, you're going to call him Isaac. I'm like, oh, hmm, okay. Actually, they said they call him Isaac. There's the paragraph about incense. So there's two things with incense that you should note. Um, incense is good. It's prescribed by God for divine service. It's even used by early Christians, and it's in the book of Revelation. If you have a problem with incense, just wait till you get to heaven. It's going to bug you there. Why don't we do it? Um, I don't know. I don't know. This congregation probably never used incense. Probably not. The service of evening prayer is the perfect one because we actually pray Psalm 141. Let my prayer rise before you as... And then if you add some incense. People say they're allergic to it. I think they just don't like how pungent it is. Because if, if you use sacred frankincense, it's completely hypoallergenic. You can't be allergic to it. But you just don't like having that smell in your nose. That's all it is. And it might cause you to gag a little bit because you're like, what is this smell? Yeah. But we love smells in church. It doesn't make any sense. Easter lilies, you know, pine trees. Da, da, da. I don't know. Yeah. Candles. There's probably for some, I don't think it's really the case here, but some, some Lutheran congregations are particularly, have a strong animosity to Roman Catholic practice. Which is doesn't make any sense, since, and especially the East never got rid of it. Yeah, the East is always used incense. So maybe if people have, have had a negative experience in the Roman Church, then it might be a guilt by association kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah, we used incense at the uh, my church in Indiana after a while, and it caused problems. You know, because somebody would be like, you know, it's Roman Catholic, and you're like, well, so is the reading of the gospel, so is the preaching of the word, so is the administration of the Lord's Supper, so is baptizing. I mean, where where do you want to where do you want to end this one, right? You know, yeah, yeah. It's not commanded though. I mean, I think that's the important note. Yeah, it's not commanded in the way that it is under Moses. And that, I gave you the notes on this. Um, ultimately, the sacrifice of Christ is the pleasing aroma represented by the pungent smell of the incense. And you can see that in Ephesians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, and Philippians 4. So the, just like the sacrifices are assumed into Christ, who is our once and for all sacrifice, so the burning of incense is assumed into Christ, and Christ is the pleasing aroma before God. Oh, that just got me thinking. What if we used incense like the, the chief um, prizes? Yeah, it would be, that would be an appropriate time. Yeah, with the sacrifice of Christ for us. Uh, and then it's also representing prayer, as we said before. All right, then there's another vision. This one is short, so we can get to that. No problem. The bewailing of this Tammuz person. Anybody know Tammuz? The women sitting and weeping for Tammuz? Of course you don't. Are you into Mesopotamian gods? 
right? Uh, Sumerian fertility god, similar to the god, the Greek god, Adonis. Hey, I wrote that down, I think. Oh, look at that. Yep, and similar to Baal, Hadad, and Canaan. So all, every religion has a fertility cult. They, every, every religion has a fertility cult. We even have a fertility cult, right? Except we actually don't pray to false gods for fertility. We actually pray to God. That God would open the womb and grant us children. Of course, right? But we give thanks to the, actually to where, who knits us together in our mother's womb, right? Yeah, exactly. So it, it's not wrong to pray for children. It's not wrong to pray for a good harvest. It's not wrong to pray for rain. It's just who you pray to, right? Exactly, right? Because these are all the substance of life, daily bread, right? Fourth, fourth petition, Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's, but the, the key, as Luther rightly reminds us, is that we receive our daily bread and th- with thanksgiving from, from God, right? Yeah. So everybody has a fertility cult. That's what, who this one seems. It's actually listed in a third century BC list of Sumerian gods that they had from Babylon. So that's kind of fun. And uh, there's maybe two possibilities as to which Tammuz this is. But the scandal of it, remember, this is worse than all the images in the storeroom with the 70 elders worshiping those with their incense and the, and the Ja'azaniya guy, right? This is worse than that because now we have women in the, inter, in the court where they don't belong. So they're totally, they're not even just elders, unauthorized elders, they're unauthorized women. And you say, ah, pastor, what are you going to talk about? Well, yes, churches that ordain women, of course. It's contrary to God's word and it's an abomination. And you say, well, they can do a great job. doesn't matter. Is it, is it actually given by God or not? That's always the question, right? You don't want somebody preaching to you who's not been authorized by God. This is why we're so interested in call and ordination, right? We take our time with it and we make effort and we have... That is commanded? What? So like how incense is not commanded. Correct. Yeah, Whether yeah, yes, okay. yes. It's, so you could make that point with somebody. When you could. Are, they <laughs> argue with it. Yeah, you could. Um, they don't go for it anymore. Years ago, women were not invited to the congregational... Games. Yeah. And that was back in the 80s. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, women's suffrage for the Missouri Synod, most congregations, that, that was 80s into the 90s. Uh, the Synod didn't have, they did not retract their, there wasn't really an official position, but they made an official position that women could serve in any role except for those that were directly responsible for the pastoral office or support of it. Mm-hmm. So elders would be a prohibition, but they can be congregation president, according to... Not according to our constitution, but according to the Synod uh, in their opinion. It's just an opinion. We're not bound to it. Um, all that's trying to be reflected here is, is the male headship of the home. That's reflected then in the male headship of the church and of the state, by the way, too. But we don't like to talk about any of that because it's all patriarchal and um, whatever, toxic masculinity and I don't know, whatever. Bah, yeah. Merry Christmas. Right. Yeah. Well, and never mind the worshiping of false god. I mean, okay, but that, yeah. And they're bewailing this false god. That's worse, actually. Did I give you a note about that? I might have. No, probably not. And then the worst one, let's do that. Uh, yeah, they were. Here we are. Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn, and you will see greater abominations than these. Number four. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there, we were already there, and there was some, the statue. Now we're there again, but it's something different. That's why I say it's not one time or one period. It's not necessarily at the time of Ezekiel. He may be going back and forward in time here. But anyway, there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, there were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. So they're all standing in front of the altar with their backs to the altar, uh, which was prohibited. They always face the altar. Uh, it's an interesting story unless you're the one who's commanded by God to actually speak from the altar on behalf of God but anyway and their faces towards the east and they were worshipping the sun toward the east so this is kind of an interesting conflict for us as Christians because our churches historically would have been oriented that way the altar would be this way I don't know probably because this road was already here yeah right instead of running it parallel to the road they did it perpendicular, but um, the, the gravestones are all oriented east. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed that. Awaiting the reappearing of the Lord, coming on the last day. Somebody asked me this at the last minute, like, why is she on this side of the stone? 
Uh, that must have been, who was the last funeral? I don't know. They're all blurring together now. Yeah, it's probably Mickey. I don't know. It could have been the other one too. So they're, they're all waiting and watching, laying, you know, their head this towards the west, looking towards the east for the coming of the Lord, right? Um, and our churches would have been that way too. We'd be looking east. That's for the western church. Here, they're in Babylon, and even the temple in uh, Jerusalem was oriented away from the east towards the west. So that's in, uh, that's in Lord of the Rings, right? Where do they sail off to at the end? To the west. Yep. Mordor's in the east, right? And the eye is the sun in the east. Yeah, he picked up on that. So to the west, so their backs are to the sun. Why? So you don't worship it. Also, it'd be pretty cool to have be backlit, I guess, but practically speaking, right? Don't worship the sun. So they've put their backs towards the altar, and there's an interesting statement in there. Um, committing abominations, face, worshiping the sun, their backs towards the temple, um, because what comes out the backside of a person? <laughs> right, right. So that's why it's abominable. There's a prohibition against passing gas in the presence of God. I'm sorry, you don't have to like this. But it probably is the reason why you don't do it in polite company, too. Never mind, it's kind of gross. But, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I don't remember who the guy is, but he gets struck down. You know. What if you can't help it? What if you can't help it? Not in the holy place. Not in the holy place, because it's, it's a sacrifice. Same reason why you wouldn't spit on the altar or something. Right? You don't, you don't, it's not, you know, defecate, you don't urinate in the presence of God. It's just, you don't have to like that. Yes. Not in church. Actually, a lot of churches, this is actually a true story, didn't, intentionally did not, even when running water came, they, you know, like in our farm communities, they didn't put toilets in the church. Yep, makes sense. Even though they're cold, I mean, they, even when, when it, you know, they came, Yep, you got to hold it. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta hold it. You know, sometimes they put it out in the parking lot or something, right? But yeah, there's, there's no is there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's your example. Um, sun worship. Notice here there's two things. We can do this. I'm sorry if I go long, but we're not going to have class for a few weeks. Uh, he said it's trivial. So what are they doing? They've got their backs to these. They're worshiping the sun. Oh, yes. Is it trivial to me? a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations they commit here. They have filled the land with violence. Okay, so they worship the sun. They filled the land with violence and they have put the branch to their nose, which is a weird expression, right? Yeah, they, basically, what, what did ESV say? They uh, put the branch yeah, to their nose. Yeah, their, their nose line. Basically, and I'll use my own words here, like, like it says it's like the ultimate um, uh, insult. So like the equivalent of yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So, the, but the first and the third, the first and the last, uh, are cultic or liturgical, right? So, what was that? Worshiping the sun, or, or and then mocking God. You know, this is how they do it in the UK. They thumb their nose at you. Yeah, it's the same idea. They have other ones that are crude, right? We don't have to do that. Uh, literally, I don't know why they translate it as there. It's actually they are sticking the branch up my nose. I don't know why they translate it as their nose, but it's my nose, right? Yahweh's nose. They're just, they're just like, it's like, what do you say? What do you say? Putting it in your face? Sticking it in your face? What? I can't think of, like an insult. Um, I don't know. There's an expression I'm trying to think of. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's it. All right. But notice the second one. They fill the land with violence. And this is a really important theme that I wanted us to get to is that um, liturgical cultic abuses, so wrong worship results in a desecration or of, of filling the land the rest of your life with violence as well. Right? So if you don't... The, I know we don't have to like this, but the way we worship is the way we pray. Also, the way we worship is the way we live. Right? So if we don't live in God's word, we don't live according to God's word. That seems obvious, I suppose, right? So we don't actually believe that. I, I, maybe you all do here in Bible study. But generally, people don't. And they wonder, like, why their work, their, their, their work life, their home life, their community life, why our nation's going to hell, whatever you want to call it. They're like, well, how did this happen? 
they, we've forgotten God. We don't listen to what he has to say. Like, I mean, you don't have to say our nation was a Christian nation, but it was heavily influenced by uh, especially the law of God. Well, you know, murder, stealing, committing adultery, these were all forbidden, right? No-fault divorce, that was non-thinkable. That was not an option until 50 years ago, right? Um, you know, we even still have laws against libel and slander and bearing false witness, right? Good luck actually winning a case, but, you know. So you can, it's real gray. It's real gray. Yeah. You know? Right. So that's my point. Like, well, why is, why is these things happening? Because we don't believe God's word. Including, I don't want to say a majority of Christians, but it, it seems to be a majority of Christian churches are equivocate on almost everything. Like, well, I have a, you know, I have a lesbian daughter, so I don't. But if I did, you know, well, how can I say no to her? She's my daughter. Like, but God's word says no. And if you don't say no, who's going to say no? If they're not going to listen to the pastor. They might listen to you. And maybe they'll listen to both you and the pastor. So have some courage, right? And just say it. Um, and she might, she might walk away. And like, well, that's the law at work. And maybe there'll be repentance. You keep, you know, re keep calling it repentance, right? You, you'll find, like, as they've already certainly learned from the transgender nonsense, which is completely abomination, <laughs> clearly, right, uh, of the way God makes us, is that the regret is severe because it, because it sterilizes you. Um, and then often it has all sorts of negative consequences on hormonal life, right? Because you don't have the organs that help produce the, the hormones you need, like for adulthood. So there's huge health implications. Like, how could we believe, how can we think that these things are not an abomination and, and that they're not causing great scandal? Because we have a different religion, you know, as a people. Right? And I'm not saying that our whole nation needs to be Christian or anything like that, right? But it would, it would help. <laughs> That's the point, right? It would help. Right? They never did get rid of all the Canaanite gods, even though God commanded it. They never got rid of all the Canaanites. And then, uh, and then ultimately, Jesus actually ministers to one, the Canaanite woman, right? The Syrophoenician woman, right? Calls her a dog, you know, not worthy of the children's bread. And she's like, I'll take even crumbs. Right? Look at that. Generally speaking, Jesus um, like, uh, preached to and Correct, yeah. All right, so I gave you some... Okay, the greatest abomination for us is the failure... This is the top page three. The failure to preach law and gospel and minister the sacraments according to Jesus' institution. Simple as that. Simple as that. Do we preach God's word? Law, you know, to call to repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus and then the administration of the sacraments as Jesus gives them. Bread and wine offered to all those who desire to receive it. Yep. For the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and then we see other, other ways too. The denial of the inspiration and authority of Scripture to allow the gospel to be supplanted by, this happens in churches, a preaching of a social, political, or philosophical gospel. All right. Health and wealth is just another fertility cult. <laughs> so we have those. We have preachers that preach health and wealth gospels, right? That's uh, Mr. Osteen, for example. Um, and it's just a fertility cult. You don't think of him as a fertility god, but that's what he is. That's effectively. Pray to me, and I'll, and you'll you'll everything will go. You'll have your best life now. Is that what he said? Yeah. No, oh, he doesn't. This is my Bible. It's just a globe. And then, as I said here, ordaining women as pastors. We already talked about condoning and even ordaining homosexuals and lesbians and whatever else. Now, I guess I didn't give you all the alphabet people are on par with sticking the branch up Yahweh's nose. We're just, we're making fun of him. And guess what? He's a jealous God, so what's he going to do? Not Yeah, what, did, what does a jealous spouse do? We're not, we're not looking forward to the pleasant days ahead, in other words. All right. Um, there's the sun worship. By the way, Manasseh did it. <laughs> I don't know if we read that part. Josiah deposed the priests, uh, and then the, the king removed the altars there. Uh, I already mentioned the West. We already talked about that. Oh, then we talked about, way at the beginning, Malachi's prophecy. It's at chapter 4. That Christ is the son of righteousness. Um, also, Christ will come when morning dawns. Didn't we sing that today? Dun, 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 dun. No, we're going to sing that here sometime. The king shall come when morning dawns. And light, and, okay, anyway, it's a hymn we'll sing. Advent slash Christmas. That's Christ's resurrection on Easter. 
and Christ promised return is promised to come from the east. So there you go. We have that as well. Oh, Moses actually explicitly condemned sun worship in Deuteronomy 4 at 17. Um, so that's why this is this. I mean, it's just a terrible abomination. And then, like I said, there's ultimately an end to God's patience and persistent attempts at renewal. This is the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, I think, last time. Why would you want God to be your enemy? He's not, he's not the kind of person you want to fight against. Uh, it does not go well for you. So don't, don't make him your enemy. You know, do what he tells you. <laughs> or, as you heard today in the sermon, listen to him. It's good for you, actually, because he, he, he actually wants to give you gifts as well. But if you reject the gifts, guess what happens? You ever try to spurn somebody when they're giving you a gift? What is, what is the... Hell has something like somebody scorned? How's that go? Like a woman scorned. Yeah. Yeah, well, all right. So, uh, like, you can read ahead. Nine actually has a little bit of a gospel in it. It's in uh, verse four. So, just a little. <laughs> so, do you see what it says there? Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations. Got it? So, we'll look at that in a few weeks. Yeah, me. Next year. Next year. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. Lord bless you and keep you. And uh, we'll see you, I guess, all week. <laughs> Seems like it, doesn't it? We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.